0: Welcome to the July 30th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Psalm 85, and the sermon is entitled, The Great Blessing of Revival, delivered today by Pastor Jeffrey Campbell. The past couple of weeks, we have been putting our minds and our hearts in a place where we are expecting God to show up at revival. I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. I want you to know this. God is here today. I I don't know how to explain it to you, but I know that God is here. I feel his presence. And through the past two weeks, I have specifically been praying for revival of God's people. Maybe that's here. Maybe that's around our country. Maybe that's around our world. We all can agree that we all need it, correct? Amen. But as I told this past Wednesday... It's so much easier to say they need it. It's so much harder to look in the mirror and say, I need it. Peter writes these words. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And friends, if we want revival, we must look inward at the people of God. And so today, that's what this sermon is to do. It is to stir the innards of Clifford Baptist Church. To stir our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, our thinking toward that of wanting more of God and less of ourselves. And so my prayers over the past week, and they will continue for another week and another week during revival, is this. God, please begin with me. Let judgment begin with me. Let revival begin with me. And it is with that breath that I say this, revival does not begin at a voting booth. Nobody agrees with me. You think you can change a country by going to the voting booth, you are wrong because you are putting your trust in man and man will fail. Revival does not begin in a voting booth. Revival does not begin in denomination squabbles. Revival does not begin in a church business meeting. That is not where you do the business with God. Friends, revival begins with me. This week, starting Sunday, beginning the next three or four days, I hope you purposely go to your calendar and mark off days and times set aside for revival, for God to work. Because I believe and I am praying that God will work here. And so we need to be here in order for God to work in our lives. But here is the purpose of these two sermons the past two weeks. Is to prepare our hearts. Because we cannot show up to revival expecting God to begin the work then. We must plow the ground for a couple of weeks and be ready for the word of God to sit steadfastly in our hearts and in our minds. Revival begins with the people of God. When the people of God get serious about God, that's when God works. And so that is my prayer. And I can say amen and we can go home if you want. But Psalm 85, I want you to go there in your Bible. Psalm 85, and today we are going to look at the great blessing of revival. Some of these words today, you will hear our most famous words when we think about revival. But I want our hearts and minds to be centered on the Word of God for just a few minutes and say this. Revival is more than an emotion. I like to get fired up, right? If you go to a sporting event with me, don't sit beside me. Because I'm going to yell and I'm going to scream and I'm going to holler a little bit, okay? And I might tell you what's wrong and what's right and my thoughts and all that sort of thing. But here's the thing, I can get emotional in those places. But when I think about church, church is an emotional place. This morning while the congregation was asking God to draw near them. That's exactly what you were doing in song. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Gosh, what if that is the truth Of our hearts, not just off of our tongues. That's what we were asking. God, we need you. And I truly believe that we need it. But when we think about emotion, I can become emotional and lose track of things. I know in this room there are many people that are hurting. And just because I get emotional doesn't mean that you get emotional. Or maybe you are hurting from something that you think God has allowed happen to your life. Maybe you are someone that has blamed God, and you view God very differently than I do. Today, God can show us something. Through his word and through revival, he can show you the truth of who he is. Psalm 85 today, look at the first two verses. There are 13 verses in this psalm. We're going to look at all 13 of them today very quickly. Psalm 85, verses 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Point number one today, and the great blessing of revival is this, the faithfulness of God to his people. If you look at this psalm from the beginning to the end of the psalm, you're going to see God all over it. But there are three things that you will see in looking at this psalm. You're going to see uh, the faithfulness of God in the past. You will see a cry of God in the present seeking restoration or revival or forgiveness. And that you're going to see a hope for God in the future. Many of your psalms are set up this way. They they realize they've messed up and they need God. They want God and they want God for the future generations. And if you read the Psalms like that, you understand exactly where the writers are. How many of you said, man, I wish church was like it used to be? Go ahead and raise your hand. That's okay. I've been in some church meetings where I said, God, I was closer to you 20 years ago than I am today. And that breaks my heart. I was on fire for you 20 years ago, and today I've slacked up. I've gotten comfortable. When I look at my own life, I can see God has been faithful in the past. I need him today, I cry for him today, and I want him to be faithful again. I want him to be faithful for Clifford Baptist Church. I want him to be faithful in this generation and generations to come. I want my children and my children's children to know who Jesus Christ is. But the days are coming where some people, when the name of Jesus is mentioned, they will be killed in this country. I believe those days are coming. But don't you know, church, The cry for God today affects our tomorrow. And so I read these words from Psalm 85. And very quickly, we see where revival begins. Look at the first word. It's a four-letter word, a good word. It says, Lord. The psalm begins where revival begins. It begins with God. Like I said last week, we can schedule it, we can orchestrate it, we can line it up, we can have some great speakers, but unless God shows up, you're just going to have a glorified meeting is all we're going to have. God's presence in revival is vital to revival. And so my prayer over the past week has been, God, please show up. Please show up. And the psalm here says, Lord, I know that God is there, Lord. Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. If you quickly look through this psalm, you see words that that are like this. Favorable, forgiven, covered, mercy, salvation, righteousness. The writer understands this. God, you have been faithful. That gives us our first point. God, you have been faithful. Why do we desire revival year after year or even multiple times throughout a year? Why? It's not because God has left us. It's because we have left him. We have not been faithful on our end. The people realize that they need forgiveness and they need to be revived, but that can't happen apart from the work of the Lord. Maybe today... You've been coming for just a little while, a couple weeks, a couple months. Maybe you've been here for your whole lifetime. You've heard me say revival starts with you. But I'm going to edit that to say that it does start with you. But revival starts with God first. And then he deals with you. It must start with God. Look at verse number 2. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people... Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. We see the word forgiven. And the writer knows that God has forgiven. And the word forgiven here means that God has taken away a burden. Have you ever done something to somebody and, and you just roll off nonchalantly say, oh, I'm sorry about that, I didn't mean to, and you just keep on moving on? I've got a son that does that very well, Okay. He knows that he was going to be in a sermon, and this is the sermon. When he messes up, he says, sorry, Dad. And then he does the same thing like 20 minutes later, right? And so we have that conversation and say, son, listen, sorry means that you are sorry for doing it and that you will never do it again. You will know which one of my sons it is by looking at his face. It's red right about now, okay? (laughs) Levi is my buddy, and he knows that. But we have this conversation often that when we say sorry to something and we do continue doing it, we are not really sorry. But here the writer says that God has forgiven. It means that God, they just haven't said I'm sorry, but God has taken away the burden of the sinfulness of the people. God has removed that and he knows it. Today, all around us, We are nothing but sin-filled people. And if you look beside you, and if all of you look in front of you, you are looking at a glorified sinner, okay? But here's what God has done in my life through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has taken and He has removed the burden of sin off of me and that is the only reason I can stand before you and tell you and testify of the faithfulness of God is because what he has done not what I have done and so today when we think about the faithfulness of God we have to remember he has forgiven he has removed that guilt away from us and the end of verse number two says this and has covered all their sin I don't know if you are right in your Bible. I love to write in my Bible. I circle that little word all. All means all, and that's all all means, okay? He has covered all of their sin. When you think about, you come to church and you say, I'm such a bad person, I'm such a horrible person, join the crowd. Aren't we all? But here's what the promise is of God is. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, His blood covers it all. Do you see that little word at the end of verse number 2? Selah? It's just a means of pause. But anytime you're reading your Bible through the Psalms and you see that word, you need to stop and you need to contemplate and you need to think about what you just read. And here's what we're saying. All the sin of all the nation, has been covered. And the writer says, I know God has forgiven that. Today, God has forgiven it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Some people, when you look and read your Old Testament, it took 70 years of captivity to shake the people of God to realize and turn their eyes to them. I pray that it doesn't take 70 years of my preaching to turn some people to God because it's going to be a long, long ride for some of you. But here's what God says. For some people, it takes captivity. For some people, it takes God to shake them. But maybe today, I don't know what it will take for you to see the faithfulness of God to forgive all of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing You can do, Jesus Christ has already done it. Praise be to God. It is about the faithfulness of God to his people. Point number two let's look at verses three and four. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thy anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? How many of you know point number two today? Turning is required for repentance. The great blessing of revival involves a turn. Not a halfway turn, not a three-quarter turn, A complete turn away from those things that you are doing. There is a ton of things that are missed in translation. How many of you know that? And I'm not going to argue the translation of the Bible. But if you go back to the original Hebrew here. Five of the first eight verses contain a word that means to turn back or return to the Lord. And here's the cry of the psalmist writing here. The people of God need to turn back to God Almighty. If he says it five times in eight verses, he's trying to tell you something. Real quickly, verse number one, you see the words brought back. Verse number three, you see the word turn. Verse number four, you see the words turn us. Verse number six, you see the word revive. Verse number eight, you see the words turn again and over and over and over you see the psalmist writing there has to be a turn there has to be a change there has to be something that happens to make people come back to God Almighty does God today still desire his people to return to him absolutely he does what did it take for a nation God had to put them in exile for 70 years in order to get their attention. Today, what does God have to do to you or what does God have to do to me to get our attention, to repent, and to turn to Him? Verse number 4, look there real quick. It says, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thy anger toward us to cease. This is a clear call For the people of God to turn and for God to turn us back to our salvation. I'm going to give you the Jeffrey translation, okay? Here's the psalmist cry. God, please turn us back to you, O God of our salvation. Get our eyes back on you. Get our hearts back on you. Let us look at you at all times. There needs to be a turn to God. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, Pastor, my eyes and my heart are fully on God. Praise be to God. Back up and look at verse 3 then. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Many times we see God's wrath. Do you see that here? psalmist says, God, turn away from the wrath. Please turn away. And allow us to turn back to you. But many times we want God to turn from the wrath. And yet we want to continue on our merry little way. Doing what we've always done. And expect God to to bless that. But here's the reality. In order for God to turn away his wrath. We've got to turn to him. We must trust him in all things. And in verse number 8 it says this. But let them not turn again to folly. The foolishness, the foolishness that we often turn to as the people of God. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I'll just tell you from the pulpit, I'm guilty of looking at other things, trusting other things other than God. A lot of times, it's myself, and I fail. And here's what the psalmist says in verse number 8. Let them not turn again. To the folly, God let us not turn again to our foolish ways our foolish desires there has to be a change there has to be a change friends today, this morning I want everyone's attention from the pulpit back everyone needs a little change every now and then don't get into the same old routine every Sunday morning and expect God to do the same old thing that he's always done Get apart, pray, seek his face. Get in the presence of God and desire God to do something major in your life. I'm calling the people of God to a prayer closet like they've never been to before over the next week to prepare for God to do some amazing things. Point number two today, there has to be a turn. You can't continue on doing the things that you're doing and expect God to bless it that is what the psalmist is telling his people point number three look at verses five through nine will thou be angry with us forever will thou draw out thine anger to all generations will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee show us thy mercy O Lord and grant us thy salvation I will hear what God the Lord will speak For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh. Them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Point number three, the great blessing of a revival is a desire for God to work. There are three questions mentioned in verses 5 and 6. And these are the three questions. God. Will you be angry forever? The second question, God, will your anger continue to the next generation? And the third question is this, God, won't you revive us again so we can rejoice in you? Of course, these are rhetorical questions. And as as the writer asks these questions, these are actual prayers of the psalmist. God, God, we need you. We can't, we can't go through this anymore. God, won't you be angry with us? God, why are you still angry with us? And why are you will you be angry with our children? God, won't you revive us? We're dead. We are dead. Please revive us. How many of you know that God can give life to that which death has its grip on? I'm going to say that one more time. God can give life to that which death has its grip on. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus himself. Death had a hold on our Savior. He laid in the ground three days and the devil the whole time rejoicing that Jesus Christ is done and he is dead. And yet, through his life, we see that God gave life to him. There are dead situations. There are dead hearts. There are dead Christians. Not not in the in the literal sense, but there are dead hearts, maybe even in this room or watching live stream today. Won't we ask those same questions in prayer form? God, God, don't be angry. God, will it continue to the next generation? God, won't you revive my heart today? Here's the ultimate question. Do you desire God to work in your heart? Do you desire that for your family? We want the benefits and the blessings of it, but sometimes we don't like the work. Some in this room have physical issues. Some have spiritual issues. Some have relationship issues. Some have faith issues. Some have heart issues. But today, it can all be changed to a life that trusts the Lord Jesus more fully. He wants to bring revival and life where death has moved in. Do you want God to work in your life and in your church and in your community and through the people of God? I do. And that is exactly what I'm praying for. God, please work. It's amazing. When you look at the details of a psalm, as the psalmist writes the beginning of this psalm through the first seven verses, it's about us and the people of God. And here's some of the examples. Turn again in verse number four. Why are you angry with us in verse number five? Revive us in verse number six. Show us in verse number seven. And then when we get to verse number eight, the language changes. It goes from us, and here's what the psalmist says. Look at verse number eight. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. He's talking and telling the people what they need to do. And here's what the psalmist steps forwards and says. God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear. I'm going I'm to choose to follow you. I'm going to listen for what you want to, done in this place. Today, what if all across this room, it wasn't about us? But it became about me. And what I'm willing to hear. And what I'm willing to do. And what I'm willing to change. And what I'm willing to allow God to do in my own heart. It has to be a personal relationship. And I know this psalm writer has one. Because he says in verse number 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I pray. I pray that this is at the heart of what we desire this week is God to speak to us but we must have that desire for God to work the last point point number four look at verses uh, 10 through 13 mercy and truth are met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Point number four about the great blessing of revival is a life lived following Christ. A life lived following Christ. I want you to see in this scripture that we just finished up the pairings or the groupings that the writer uh, w- writes with. In verse, number, uh, in verse number 10, mercy and truth. You see that pairing? Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You look at these pairings, and you in my mind straightly went, is it possible to have one and not the other? Is it possible, in verse number 10, to have truth and not mercy? Or have mercy and not truth? Is it possible to have righteousness and not have peace? Or have peace and not have righteousness? It's amazing that he groups these together. But it is these blessings that we see that as they come together, and only God can bring them together. And only God can bring these blessings. Today... If I walk out of here in my own understanding, in my own uh, definition of truth, and go out on my own, I will make it in this world. I will make it. It may not be pleasant, or I could be very successful. But here's the reality. If I leave Jesus out of the equation, I've lost it all. I have missed the blessing. And so today, when we think about the great blessing of revival, a life that follows the Lord, it reminds me to think of Psalm 46, verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When I take my eyes and I put them on a nation of Israel that needed a God to lead them, today, I look at my own life. And I see a life that I'm trying to live and I'm trying to make all the right decisions and I'm trying to be a good dad and, and a successful pastor and a good husband and I fail in so many areas. But if I did it without Jesus you would have to scoop me up off the floor as you leave here today because I wouldn't be worth two cents. Jesus is the only way that I'm able to do what I can. When the blessings of the Lord come together, it gives us a great picture. And that picture can be seen in verse number 13. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. It is the picture of a king leading, leading a city, marching to his throne. It is the picture, that in my mind, of Jesus being the righteousness that goes before us and that sets the way of our steps. Today, church, will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in such a way that our steps and our heart and our life matches what our mouth says. I don't know about you, but today, I need Jesus more today. Than I've ever needed him in my life. It's not because things are necessarily hard or busy. It's not because the world's crazy. I just need the presence of God in my life. And I think that every one of us need that as well. So today I'm done. Mark it down. You're getting out early today, okay? But here's the way I want to close it. I'm not twisting anybody's arm. I'm not trying to make you do something that you would normally do. But when the people of God desire to be the presence of God, it's amazing what God will do. And so here's what I want to call you to today. I don't know what it looks like. I haven't, I haven't thought this out. This is I just shut my Bible. I'm not even looking at my notes anymore. We're done for the day. But I wonder, is there a handful of people that as we close this service will gather around an altar and just pray together as a church family, God, do something with us. Do something with me. I'm going to be down here, and I'm going to tell you this. At this this invitation, I'm not going to be available at first to pray. I'm going to be praying myself. But if the Lord leads you to come from the balcony, to come from the back, to come from your pew, and join me at this altar, do so. If the Lord doesn't lead you to do that, you stay right where you are. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You pray. Tom, the first verse, we're just going to play through it and let God work. But here's what I desire. I desire people that want to desire God to lead their life. The great blessing of revival is this. God can and will change you if you allow that. At 15 years old, my life was changed because I gave my heart at a revival. Today, that's the altar. That's the invitation. That's that's the altars open. And in these moments, I don't know what your needs are. But here's what I know. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm not more holier than any person in this room. I need Jesus. And I want Him to work through the life of the people of God. And I want Him to change this church. And I want to change this community. And ultimately, He can change the world by people who are committed to Him. Today, if you're a believer... I encourage the next little bit to be moments of prayer, however the Lord leads you. But maybe there's somebody in this room today, here's the truth. The truth of the gospel is this, the blood of Jesus can and will change you. It will cover all your sins. And it will allow you to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Today, if that is your heart's need, if that is your heart's desire, please, I'm not twisting your arm, please come and ask Jesus to be a part and lead your life. Today, this altar is open as we finish, as we seek revival, as we seek the move of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, Lord, thank you. In these moments, we give you this time. Lord, just a time of the people of God praying. Lord, many of us in this room, including myself, are so busy, we neglect time with you. So just a few moments today, Lord, we want to enter into your presence. We want to talk to you. We want to seek your face. We want to plow the ground of our hearts, of our church, of our community. We want to pray on behalf of all of these for you to work through our revival service in the coming week. God, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you that you're going to do the work. It's not us. It's just us being dependent upon a holy God to do the work that he needs to do. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus. And today, if there's somebody in this room that needs him as Savior, God, I pray, Lord, that you will bring that one heart to you today. That one life will be changed if they submit their life to you and believe on your name. Thank you, Lord, that you will change lives today in this room, and you will change lives through a week of revival if we simply choose to trust you. Lord, thank you. As we enter in your presence today, Lord, we seek your face now. In Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.